Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of not only This Week in Startups, but I am officially welcoming Ben Gilbert and David Rosenthal's amazing audience, pretty sophisticated audience, I would say, uh, based on the Slack that I'm in at Acquired FM. Yes, this is a collab, a collaboration. All the kids are doing it on the YouTube. Uh, David and Ben, uh, welcome back to This Week in Startups. Uh, Jake Al, welcome back to Acquired. Uh, is this your first time doing a collab? No, this is, what is this episode like six, seven we've done together? You guys are yeah, now so. in like the rankings of most on the show. Seventh episode yeah. together, yes. Who who else is on that leaderboard? Who we uh, you know, who do we have wow. to battle here? Uh, Brian Alvey, uh, who was my best friend from high school, who I did weblog sync with, has been on a lot of times. There's some people on the news roundtable, like Molly Wood's been on a couple times. Yeah, I'd say the news roundtable. Uh, Alex Wilhelm has been on. All right, so some that formidable competition. Mad. Yeah, you're you're up there. Zach's been on six or seven times. Yeah, Zach Coleus would be on a lot because he does ask Jason and Zach. Because I find like there's some people I just vibe with, and uh, obviously Ben and David, you're two of those folks. Uh, if you don't know about Acquired FM, uh, where the hell have you been? Go to Acquired.fm and uh, sign up for their uh, elite hundred dollar subscription uh, product in addition to their free. Do you do? Do you do? Yeah, Jason, well, we, so we, have big, we have big news. We, yeah, we, uh, we, changed our, we changed the model a little bit. So we oh. started releasing all LP episodes for free after two weeks because we oh. had such awesome guests that we were like, you know what? If people want this information in a way that they're going to do something mm -hmm. interesting with it, two weeks is plenty of time. Um, but, you know, it's incredible guests. They're saying incredible things. It's a shame to lock it up for just a couple thousand people. So... Yeah, That's always been the problem feed. I've had with the paywall and yeah. the market for advertising is so vibrant right now for podcasting, at least you can't say that yep. about blogs or other things. So yeah, I, I think it's a good decision. We, we started playing with the, you know, um, paid concept on Patreon, whatever. And I was just like, you know, this is like an antithetical to my personal brand of founders don't pay. And my audience is founders, mostly, you know, some investors and some tech enthusiasts, but Mostly founders, and I, I just—they've got a hundred bucks. Or no offense, you have a lot of capital allocators, so a hundred bucks is just like whatever. I just want to put the show. I'd rather they put it towards their startup or something. So totally. Well, well, well congratulations on it, it. It was much more about about the well. A, it was people who were paying us. Some people were paying for the content, uh, mm -hmm. but it was a minority. Most people were paying because they liked us, wanted to support the show. They wanted and to support for, the show. Be part of the community. We do monthly Zoom calls with our paid LPs, and uh, that's very cool. Yeah. So. We yeah, get to hear yeah. about their crazy NFT exploits in the last six months. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, we, I don't know when the last time we got together was, but we have not really. When was it? I think it was right before your Italy trip. Oh, right before Italy. Okay. So it was August. Uh, uh, yeah. Oh, thanks. I've lost 20 pounds since then. Um, thanks for you look good. You were used to looking good. You were seriously looking good. You know what happened was David and I were talking and like, I don't know if you remember this all in where. Somebody had a picture of us on the golf course in the middle of the pandemic in Cabo because we had done this like, I mean, David had basically gone AWOL and uh, it was kind of like a, I don't know, you guys ever watch uh, Apocalypse Now, like Colonel Kurtz oh, goes yeah. like into the woods and like he goes kind of crazy. So like David Sachs is missing. And so people are like, hey, David's kind of lost it in the middle of the pandemic. He just went to Cabo. Can you go retrieve him? And... <laughs> like okay so i you know it's middle of pandemic i fly down private to cabo 
I find him in Cabo and he's like, literally, yeah, he's kind of like, I don't know about this pandemic. It's just the end of the world. He's kind of, you know, on edge or whatever. He's like Colonel uh, Kurtz. He's basically gone Colonel Kurtz. <laughs> so going like, into the heart of darkness. I'm like, this is, you can't live this way. You got, you got funds, you got family, you got friends, you got the poker group. You got to come home. David, you got to come back to the Bay. You got to, can't stay in Cabo for the whole pandemic. So I brought him home. But anyway, there was a picture of the two of us on the golf course. And I'm like over 200 pounds. He's pushing whatever. And uh, we started doing all in together. And then, of course, fat jokes. We just fat shame each other incessantly at the poker game. But you, you can't do that anymore, can you, Dave? And you, you're not allowed to fat shame. I have the picture ready to pull up if you want to see it. I mean, no, I don't want to see it. <laughs> Well, I think, I think it's okay if you do it yourself. Oh, I mean, wow. There we are. I mean, there are. Well, I mean, like, you're kind of leaning backwards. Well, we know There's... how to. We, we're sucking it in there. We're sucking it in. <laughs> we're working the angles. I'm all in black. He made the terrible maneuver of putting all white on. And he's like, why are you wearing all black on the golf course in Cobb? I'm like, slimming. Yeah. Slimming, exactly. Why do I wear black all the time? Slimming. So I love that we're well, looking at it through a like screenshot of a Zoom background while Sax is talking over it. It's a very like 2020 version of this peak photo. Pandemic. Yeah, that's, the, yeah. that's yeah. a peak <laughs> pandemic <laughs> approach there because you can see the aliasing around the thing is just terrible. That's when Zoom just started that feature. Yeah. Uh, so we look really fat. And so we were fat shaming each other. And all of a sudden I noticed he's getting thinner and he's talking about his weight loss. I'm like, oh, God. Anyway, I'm 176 this week, every hey. single day. Congratulations. Was, What's your secret? Trainer? Peloton? Uh, I am. I No, I stopped working out, actually. And I, because what I found was in the research, if you're working out and you have a serious amount of weight to lose, which I did, I, you know, I was over, I was 198 or 199 was my peak this year. I'm 176 now. So I've lost over 20 pounds this year. When you're that fat and overweight, I'm sorry, obese, whatever, if I'm triggering people, but I, I consider myself a fat bastard. You felt you, you, you were not happy with, with where you were. I was... I'll be, if I'm being totally candid, uh, Ben and, and David, uh, I was very disappointed in myself that I could be so successful at anything I tried with the exception of weight loss. And it was like embarrassing to me and frustrating to me because I would lose 10 pounds, 15 pounds, and then or 10 pounds, gain it back, 10 pounds, gain it back for 10 years. And it's just basically I was a marathon runner uh, who stop running marathons. And so my metabolism, you get, to, you get older and you know, then I kind of forgive myself. You, you gain a pound or two a year. Uh, that's not a lot. And you do it for 20 years, you're going to be overweight. So that's exactly what I'm doing. Anyway, I just went down to 1.5 meals a day. That's it. Hmm. It's just literal starvation. Uh, and yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's not fun, but thermodynamics, are, you know, are, are a fact of the universe. And uh, it, I, what's the, there's some quote, I lost a bunch of weight when I was in college. And I remember some quote, were you fat? Uh, I lost 40 pounds my senior year of college. You were and fat. And I've been ab about the same. Yeah. No. Probably. I mean, depends on, on definition, but I wasn't happy with, uh, with, with how I was. I mean, you and, were definitely uh, in the obese category, which is 30 BMI or more plus thanks, 30, Jason. 40 pounds. Appreciate that. I mean, no, listen, I was, I was <laughs> obese too. It's, you get the sense yeah, that so, David was never. But, but there's like those uh, phrases like. Little kid. Uh, Not David baby. actually, David actually played football in oh, really? college. Wide That's receiver? a long story that we don't have time for now. Okay. Uh, let, let's do that on the next twist. The next uh, twist. collab. So you, how did you lose the weight then, Ben? Uh, very similar. I, I cut all carbs, um, but at the end of the day, I, I think it, it's kind of a you know it's a calories game. 
It's a calories game. And then I've done a bunch of research about this online. It turns out when you have fat on your body, there's all these um, systems in your body that when you have fat, your body, which is, you know, an operating system from, you know, that's tens of thousands of years old, just says, oh, there's fat on your body, put more fat on. You got to keep that because it's obviously the winter. So let's keep it on. So your body basically just makes you ravenously hungry to try to keep that fat on. When you get like 10 pounds off, it's like, oh, something's going wrong here. Put more fat on. So your body actually actively starts fighting you when you hit that like minus uh, 10 point. So you really have to just break through. And then once you break through, you're good. So Dave and I both broke through. Um, and it's been great. I mean, he's 168, he told me. And he started at 192 or 94. So we, we're both on wow. the exact same journey. And uh, we're going to do like a weight loss uh, program and then start selling it for like, you know, whatever. I'm in. Send me the DVDs. $149 or something. It's me and him doing aerobics. Third, fourth leg of the uh, launch empire stool. You're launching. Weight loss. Okay, this is good. So we we jump, let's skip ahead a little bit here, but um, we wanted this to be like the holiday special episode. Yes. And one of the questions we had for you. Okay, here we go. 2021 year in review. This is the perfect tee up. How's your relationship with Saxy Poo? We we all over the beef? All all good? (laughs) Uh, you know, Sax and I are like brothers, and we Sax is also a leader. And uh, before all in, we could break each other's chops about our position on, let's say, politics. Obviously, he's I'm left leaning, he's right leaning. I'm kind of more of a centrist, and he's becoming a little bit more centrist. So I feel like we're both sort of coming closer on this. But then you throw in the all in podcast, and that was not, you know, that was just to have fun. And now it's obviously gotten larger than uh, we thought it would. It peaked at the 41st episode in the country of all categories. Oh, that's crazy. Uh, wow. Uh, episode 56 and 57 were like 41 and 55 or something. I don't know. Like, I, I look at it over the weekend and that's crazy. Um, so it's gotten extraordinarily popular. So then you should you should get chartable, by the way, if they send you alerts on when you're, oh, you're really? ranking on different. Okay. Uh, I think yeah. my team has that. I have to get that. So anyway, it, that has created another level to it, because when we break chops, everybody sees it as a 10x what it, in reality we're experiencing. We do this as a course of action. And I basically started it because I grew up in Brooklyn where we break each other's chops as sport. It's kind of a way to show love and affection. He buys into that 100%. We've been friends for 20 years. We've been doing it for 20 years. So it makes everybody uncomfortable. We go out with our wives or we're at a party. Like our wives will take us apart and say, can you guys stop ribbing each other? It's making the other guests uncomfortable. I'm like, why would it be uncomfortable? Oh, sorry. Why would it be uncomfortable if this like sympathizing this fat bastard and I argue? And he's like, please stop. It's making it worse. So we just, you know, just beep, 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 beep that Nick in the post-production. So um, it's actually never been bad, but we do argue over things. And one of the arguments has been, and I'm curious your position on this is, how much politics on All In? You know, when you talk politics on any podcast, you, you probably have seen it on yours. You're, all of a sudden, you got all these thumbs up, thumbs down. The comments go crazy. The tweets go crazy. You're an idiot. You're stupid. You know, it's polarized like anything else. So it becomes like Thanksgiving dinner during the Trump era. And so I've been the other three besties who are not David Sachs. Um, Freeberg doesn't want to talk about any politics. You see him like just zone out. If you're watching him on the stream during a politics, he just goes discussion, and does like real science he while walked, everyone's throwing. He literally barks. walked out off on the. I thought he left the program, but he's just like, oh, this is a perfect time for me to get a cup of coffee. I'm like, you can't leave in the middle of the taping. He's like, I just had a cup of coffee, whatever. I was like, okay, fine. So he hates it. Chamath 
is fine with it if it's in relation to the same position as me. Markets, tech, you know, science. Can argue it doesn't impact our world yes. anymore. And then David would like to talk about the insurrection. He, you know, he wants to talk about any, you know, he wanted to talk about Rittenhouse. You know, and that, that was something like a big debate. Are we going to talk about this or not? And so anyway, that that is at the core of it. And I think we've worked through most of it. I, I mean, you asked for our take on it. Like my quick yeah. one is I actually love listening to All In for that reason. Uh, I've been, I thought I was going to listen to it for like business and tech stuff. And I'm mm-hmm. excited. I, I tuned in a lot for like COVID updates and a mm-hmm. lot for what's so going science. on. And I don't live in San Francisco, but like San Francisco politics, because I didn't okay. really understand it until then. And I feel like um, it's an intelligent politics discussion. I mean, there's barbs, but uh, uh, Sachs is the first conservative to make arguments where I, I become amenable to them and then look at myself and I'm like, no, what are you doing? But like, it's, it's, it's smart. It's well-reasoned. It's not incendiary most of the time. David. I, I totally agree. And I go back to, you know, you can't, um, you can't separate anymore. Like tech and our world and our industry yeah. is so much more a fabric of the whole world. And so like to pretend that politics and world events and stuff, you know, don't, impact our industry and vice versa is silly and there's no place else where you can get a good discussion of these things then then all in so i i think it's great i agree with ben i, I think it's a core I, part of the show i appreciate that and i agree with uh you both like i mean to say it's part of the fabric of society capital allocation wealth creation technology and science are our society as far as i'm concerned like i don't think almost anything is important now entertainment media like religion i mean all the movie studios are owned by big tech like literally owned by there are are no more independent film studios so uh, is that enough yeah so you know i i appreciate it what i'm what we're trying to do you know we have uh we play poker most weeks or have dinner together you know uh, every couple of weeks you know during poker And, and we really as a as a uh quartet have had discussions about hey what is the what is what is a vibrant civil discussion, right? And so, like interruptions comes up all the time. Like, how prepared are we? Like, and so th- that was another big discussion. Like, you know, hey, are you interrupting people? It's like it's a conversation, and you know, Sachs would show up with a monologue, and I, you know, we had to have this like discussion. Like, are, Sachs has researchers and writers who are you know giving him notes, and none of us are doing that. I'm like, hey, listen, I don't want you monologuing on the show. I'm going to interrupt mm. you if you monologue. So you can get 90 seconds into this, but when you get to two minutes or three minutes, I'm going to ask you a question. You got to pass the ball. This is not ISO ball. This is not like 90s basketball. You're not Allen Iverson or Carmelo Anthony. I want warrior style basketball. I want the ball passing. And he agrees with that. By the way, I I don't know how this did in your analytics, but um, one of my favorite all in episodes, if not my favorite for this year, was when you had Draymond on. I don't know if that was a deep cut or if that was was high up on the charts, but it was awesome. It was in the early days. We have to have him back on after the season. Well, listeners, this is the perfect opportunity to introduce a new sponsor here on ACQ2, Quarter. Their new product, Quarter Pro, launched about a year ago and is already adopted by several Fortune 500 companies and some of the world's largest hedge funds and equity research departments. Yeah, this research platform is transforming the way qualitative public market research is conducted. Here's how Quarter Pro works. You can get every piece of first-party information from public companies all in one single place. That's live earnings calls with real-time transcripts, company filings, slide decks, and more. Quarter Pro has built a world-class user interface for this. 
Yep. Let's say you're an investor or a podcaster, and you've got the use case where you need to look up a company such as Novo Nordisk, Hermes, or Visa. You can open their platform and search Guidance or Market Outlook. Quarter Pro then immediately identifies all instances where a company has historically mentioned and discussed these topics in all of their IR-related communications. Or here's another pretty crazy thing they've done that's difficult to get anywhere else. You can actually search through literally every individual slide in Quarter's database, covering 9,000 public companies and millions of slides for any keyword mention based on Quarter's AI capabilities. This truly makes it easier than ever to conduct qualitative analysis of entire industry value chains and specific companies. So whether you're an equity research analyst, an asset manager, or an investor relations professional, this platform will help you increase your productivity through their live call, transcript components, AI-powered summaries, and a feature a allowing you to visualize the entire timeline and changes of specific slides throughout quarters. Quarter also offers their database as an API solution. This enables other companies such as trading and research platforms, as well as AI and LLM companies to build custom solutions and integrate this database into their offerings or add functionality on top of the data. Yep. To find out why leading companies globally are choosing Quarter Pro in their day-to-day work and to experience the platform firsthand, request a personal demo by visiting quarter.com slash acquired. That's Q-U-A-R-T-R, no E, Q-U-A-R-T-R dot com slash acquired. Or click the link in the show notes to get the personal demo from the Quarter team. Our thanks to Quarter. One final question on, on All In. How has your thinking evolved on the sort of Jason Calacanis media and investing empire since adding all into the mix? Like, how does it fit in with launch and twist and how you're thinking about the next five and 10 years now? So I love doing it. I love doing it. Um, I am now, you know, I turned 51 on Sunday. I have now oriented, I've just oriented my life. How old are you guys, by the way? 32 and David, you're 35, 37. 37. So I focused my entire life on performance, you know, success, trying to be somebody, be important, get money, get power, get status. And I just made the decision after Tony Shea passed away, which is just now the year uh, anniversary and after, um, you know, uh, COVID, that I am going to put an equal amount of effort into my personal enjoyment with my friends and my family, which, you know, has been a, a journey of my 40s is trying to just put more effort into my friendships and families and relationships. So I bought a ski house, you know, like, and I'm going to spend a month uh, in Tahoe skiing and doing the show from there. So actually, I'm orienting the empire around my personal enjoyment of life and, you know, my relationships. And the success is going to take care of itself because it has my, I, I was at like maybe 300,000 followers or something. I think I had 100,000 followers since all in became popular. I'm getting a lot of offers to do other media stuff now because people saw me in a different role, like as a moderator. So you might see me on some other, you know, Ooh. mainstream media stuff or other projects. So it, it has changed things for me. The things I love doing, investing in startups, performing on air, like doing podcasts and writing uh, and being a great friend, you know, to the people I love. Those are the things that I've taken stock of my life that I enjoy doing. And so that's what I'm orienting everything around. And you know what? Like, Media is what I love to do. I love to create media. 
And it's really that simple. If I and like this, you know, like last night, I was like, can't wait to be on the show with you two. You know, and I was like, Aww. I really enjoy our time together. We felt the same way, chopping it up, and I, I you know, get, I get a little tingle, uh, you know, before all in or before certain guests, and you know, uh, as part of that, since this weekend starts about five days a week this year, uh, we're bringing Molly Wood on, uh, and so Molly Wood is obviously a very famous podcaster from NPR, New York Times, and before that, she yeah. kind of pioneered streaming media on CNET. And we've been friends for a long time, and she's joining us in January as the co-host of This Week in Service. We'll take a little pressure off me and kind of add to the Oh, great. Awesome. Yeah, it was a two-year thing. Yeah. Uh, I've been talking to her about it for two years, but she wants to be an investor. And so she was like, hey, how do I become an investor? And I was like, well, you quit your job and come work with me. And so she wants to do climate. So I don't know if you saw the syndicate launch, the SAS syndicate. And I'll just break a little news here. We're going to do a climate syndicate next. Oh, sweet. And Molly Wood awesome. uh, did this great podcast this year called um, How We Survive. It became the number one business podcast for a couple of weeks. Uh, and she's passionate about that. So she's going to spend the first half of the day working on This Week in Startups with me. Second half of the day, investing in climate startups and other startups. And I'm going to teach her how to be an investor. And we'll, we'll actually do that on air. So that's going to be like really exciting for me, too, because um, I just think she's awesome. That's but great. How, you, that's how a- are you guys thinking about your media empire? Well, that's a great question. Um, I mean, it's gotten very popular. I see you guys in the rankings. Like, we're both right there in the top, whatever, fi- top 15 tech podcasts, 10 to 15. That's right. It's, uh, it, it's well, A, it's been a while. I mean, we never expected any of this. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but um, you're good at it. So it's, it's been, well, th- uh, thank you. It's been awesome. Um, I don't, we live in this golden age, right? Like, I used to, I'm, I'm full time. Monica, like, acquired is like what I do. Uh, it's my, my job, quote unquote, now. I used to be a professional venture capitalist who with a hobby podcast on the side. Now I'm a professional podcaster with a fund <laughs> hobby venture capitalist on the side and like mm. never been happier. I mean, we live in this golden age, right? Where like media, I mean, media broadly defined what it's become, the internet, uh, you know, media influence is the key to, you know, we were going to talk about uh, Sequoia on this episode and the state of the VC landscape as we always do. Like, just, you know, being capital by itself is not enough anymore. What we do, what you do, what All In does, you know, that uh, you tell us, but I'd imagine for all of your, all four of your investing on All In and you with the launch and twist empire, it's the best thing that you could do for your investing, right? You know, it's something you can do. Uh, It's not for everybody. I think you have to want to put yourself out there. You want to have an opinion and it does take a lot of time, right? So... Uh, I'm doing six podcasts a week, two hours approximately wow. of effort each one. But for me, talking is my superpower, so it's not that hard. How how, are, how is uh, your business being impacted by this, Ben? Yeah, it's been interesting. So I I think a thing that we were really worried about for a long time is um, so we started as like the normal podcast that everyone says you should do, which is thirty to forty minutes, and we started bleeding longer and longer. Then we got into this territory where like we do these. Like we need to do 50 hours of research on a company to produce a three-hour podcast on the New York Times or TSMC, which went nuts this year. Um, and we were getting a lot of fl- Explain like, what TMSC feedback. is? Uh, Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturer? Yep. No, uh, company. Taiwan Semiconductor Company. Right? The Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company. Manufacturing company. company or corporation. The, the ninth largest company in the world by market cap they make all the chips all the most advanced chips in all smartphones and um this and is most a key asset in the world and it is a, a geopolitical, geopolitical it's like it's a geo yeah. it's like literally like a like 
it is a keystone or a linchpin. Like you pull the linchpin out or you remove the keystone, the arc collapses. Like this literally is literally modern life like disappears. <laughs> it's it's a really significant business that is more important. Is uh, let me ask you this: having you guys doing the deep dive on it, is it been more important than the actual Taiwan, like the country itself? <laughs> like is if if you think about China and the U.S. interests, if we're being totally cynical or candid, do people care more about the people of Taiwan and the state slash province, however you look at a country of Taiwan, or is this more about or equal about Taiwan Semiconductor? I mean, uh, we we cannot compare the the value of human life to the value of of the market capital I'm corporation. About how the communists well, think the, about the it. The thing is, though, yeah. it's not a it's not either. It's the same thing. The country That's Taiwan started. This is the whole history that we tell in the episode. Like. It was government policy, domestic policy, that they wanted to start this. So they recruited Morris Chang, the founder, who was by that point an American citizen. He's from China originally, from mainland China. Uh, recruited him to come take over like a, 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 a ministry. And then that led into one thing led to another. Then they started TSMC. The government it, it, it owned it. They were outside shareholders and they obviously still are now. But... Um, it's the same thing. It's like the most strategic asset, political asset that the government has. Yeah, uh, I guess the the point that I wanted to make there is so we do this three hour episode on TSMC, and we've done these three hour episodes on all these other companies, and it it finally dawned on me that you can just go be weird in a corner of the internet, and the internet is now so big that if you just keep at it, and you have reasonable distribution channels you will find all the other people that are weird in the same way that you're weird who will come conglomerate around you. So while the conventional wisdom is don't do three-hour podcasts, like 160,000 people who like three-hour podcasts have found their way to us over the yes. last six and a half years of banging our head against a wall. So I, I, I find that inspiring for anybody who has Absolutely. something where they, they feel like they want to go and uh, operate in some pseudo-obscure corner. I think that's exactly right. I, when people started telling me, like, try to get this to, you know, an hour, do this. And like, I had a, the original producers on This Week in Startups were trying to like fit it into like a TV form. And I was like, turn the microphones on. Like, how long is it going to be? We got to tell the guest. I was like, tell the guest to just book two hours and it might go over, it might go under and we'll get a hamburger or a coffee after whatever they want to do. But just look at this as a conversation. It ends when we both think it should end. The end. <laughs> like, uh, love that. if you, so if you don't it. have constraint, why would you add it? You have to ask yourself. So if there is no constraint, you would add constraint because you think it makes the product better, right? Yep. And I, people are just so used to things being a certain length or they look at the, you know, top rankings and they're like, oh, well, Ben Shapiro and The Daily Show, you know, and all those daily things are exactly 25 minutes each day. And it's like, well, yeah, they're, they're done by The New York Times or somebody like they're, they're, there's some reason there, but you don't have to. Right. They're fitting into a traditional media format because they're also going to be distributed yes. on traditional media. That is actually what happens. They're on a regular radio. They're being syndicated in, in some cases. So yeah, they're and they and you know they just may come to it with uh, a little bit more of a rigid thing. But that's what I love about all of this. And um, I so 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 sort of and and then to answer the last part of your yeah. question, sort of like how how does it fit into investing? So I'm a, a general partner in a fund in uh, Seattle called Pioneer Square Labs, and our our investments with PSL Ventures and. Uh, David, in last January, despite much pushback, convinced me that we should do a Bitcoin episode, which was our oh. first crypto foray. Amazing. It took us till January of 2021. Um, but since then, I've gone like way down the rabbit hole. Oh, um, here we go. We're on our seventh Web3 related episode and a bunch more in the 
in the pipeline now. And uh, I, I we're, we have five partners at PSL, but I am um, personally exclusively looking at crypto and Web3 investments now. And nice. that that's fairly new. It's in the last month, but it's just been a total, total, total change for me. And that wouldn't have happened without um, sort of having acquired as the vehicle to pursue that curiosity. I, I tell people podcasts can be like your graduate school. Like, and literally, like 100%. every year, you get a new degree, or every like ten episodes, it's like here's your new, you know, uh, minor in crypto. <laughs> here's your minor in smart contracts. Like it's like literally taking another couple of credits. And I always tell people it's a front for me to build relationships and get smarter. Right. And yep. So that, I think maybe it's a good segue into crypto. Is that somewhere on the docket that we're talking about crypto? Uh, I don't we, think it's explicitly on the docket, but it's like our, hey, Jason, are we talking about mobile? Are we talking about social today? Yeah, I mean, probably not. <laughs> well, but like I mean, like, I guess I'm course. trying to make the point. Yeah. It's like it's in the fabric of everything now, and yeah. and uh, well, or let's at look least at it uh, specifically in investing because yeah. I literally was looking at a DAO company. Um, and I'm looking at the DAO companies. I'm like, somebody's going to make a DAO platform. I think for me, I looked at the. F- totally I look at needs to happen. I look at the four uh, stages of crypto, and I covered Bitcoin when it was you know trading in the cents, and I wrote a seminal piece like um, the the most dangerous technology project i've ever seen turned out to be pretty correct um is this public like it's a blog post yeah from... they'll, they'll pull it up right now it's oh, uh, sweet. It, when i had my email newsletter uh it was the most dangerous technology project i'd ever seen and i had and i'll ask my producers to pull these for uh the future we'll, we'll talk about them on the pod maybe somebody on the producing team can look at uh when we first talked about bitcoin this was around that time i had a bitcoin episode the four stages i saw putting aside like the underlying technologies in terms of use cases store of value not interesting to me. Interesting to somebody who's in a communist country, somebody who's got runaway inflation, somebody who's doing money laundering, whatever. Somebody like me who just bought a hardware device to specifically put my store of value on. Geeking out, store of value, whatever. I would rather store my value in a ski house or, you know, something else. Like, (laughs) I don't know, the, you know, uh, a Vanguard fund. Like there's other places to store value that I think are much better for somebody in the developed world in the United States. Second one, uh, money transfer. Again, we're in the developed world where money transfer is not a non-issue, and this stuff is more expensive, cumbersome, harder to use. So that was a fail for me as well. NFTs, collectibles, uh, I kind of like those when there's, and that was when I kind of got like crypto curious or like crypto, like, okay, maybe I'll do something here. And then finally, DAOs, which is really about company formation governance it's kind of like a new llc structure it's kind of like venture funds it's kind of like running a company it's kind of like culture uh and capital formation on a global basis that to me was just like man that was just like just fentanyl for me <laughs> right into like, your veins right into my veins i just yeah was like well, i, I, I smoked so... that dow right up <laughs> and i just collapsed i was just like give me more dow and so oh now i'm just like a junkie but the problem i had was i started looking at these dow companies and I, I kid you not, I, I just start every conversation with, hey, can you show me a product demo? And they're like, yeah, here's a Figma, you know, design, or here's our white paper, or here's our six pager in the, you know, parlance of uh, Amazon. And I was like, where's the product? And they're like, well, there's a Discord server, you know, and there's a database. And I was like, well, can you sh- walk me through the product? Nobody's got a product. Yet. And uh, they're like, product will be ready in three weeks. I, and I keep hearing that from people. And the valuation was, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, raising, you know, low millions of dollars for you know, basis points of like, this does not make sense as an investment. That's my, but this is what happens. This is what happens every time there's a new 
a new a new paradigm for lack of a better word like uh you know back like in the original web 1.0 bubble you know web 2.0 mobile like there's tons and tons of people disconnected from reality like this totally get disconnected and there's tons of fraud and there's tons of companies that go nowhere and just figma designs that never become products but (laughs) there are a few like this is the moment they're going to be they're going to be the next trillion dollar companies company quote-unquote companies not sure that emerge out of this moment i'm not sure maybe trillion dollar companies there might be one or two but i'm not sure like these platforms will be i think they'll be I think their value, I think in the likely case, when I've seen on crypto valuation, and Ben, I'm very interested in hearing what valuations you're seeing and how disconnected they are from reality. Um, when companies get these kind of valuations, a billion dollars or more in value, and there's no product in market, remember Jason's rule, it's either a fraud or it's going to fail. Whether it's Quibi, Magic, uh, Magic, Magic Leap, Leap. Quibi, Magic That's Leap, Theranos, um, Nikola, Fisker, any of these companies that become worth over a billion dollars, but they don't have but customers biotech, or a product right? in market. I shouldn't apply. Which biotech. one? It probably shouldn't apply to any biotech. Yeah, I mean biotech. Yeah, that would be different. I agree. There's the whole Zimmergen, uh, uh, Zimmergen Well, whatever. Yeah. But there's been lots of multi-billion-dollar no product yes. in market companies like Moderna that then became products in market and were super viable. I think they did have some products, like actually in the formation of making drugs, like their platform to make the drugs was the product. So if you look at that. That product mm. did exist. The drug did not go through the approval process. So we might have to workshop Jason's law with that caveat, but I think it is a good edge case to caveat. Yeah. But I mean, tell me a company that became worth a billion dollars, Quibi, um, before the product was launched. Uh, that has been I don't successful. know if they ever hit a billion, but um, what was Jason Kylar's company? Uh, oh, yeah. What was that called? That, uh, that was another one of those that was like yeah. huge valuation. Uh, but, vessel. You know, vessel. That's well, that it. was yeah. in the era where like, there there were very few billion dollar companies. So I remember he raised, I can't remember if it was a 40 or an $80 million seed round. And that was on a few hundred million dollar valuation. And that was like, you know, 3x an outlier of anything else anyone had ever seen. So <laughs> t- times are different now. Um, what valuations uh, Jason, are you to, seeing? To, to answer and, your point. Uh, and how do you like, reconcile them? Because I don't know if you saw Fred Wilson's post that said, listen, $100 million pre-launch product market fit, you cannot have a winning portfolio buying it at that price, knowing what we know about exits, even the extraordinary exits we're seeing today. I thought that was one of the most cool-headed, sober, rational posts I've seen. Um, It also nicely flies in the face of the sort of Andreessen Horowitz philosophy over the last decade of this is all going to be so much bigger than anybody can possibly imagine. So, um, you know, on, on our Andreessen Horowitz episode, I, I can't remember the exact number, David, but someone was making the case that for Mark's return, you know, fund actually return, yeah. these companies would need to have an aggregate enterprise value of over $15 billion or something. And, and he was like, well, yeah, of course it is. And it seemed crazy at the time and was totally, totally true. So I, I think Fred makes the, the well-balanced point that either we have a problem here or these things are going to, there's going to be way more multi-billion dollar companies than anyone yeah. has, you know, than, than, than possibly exists today. Anyway, in crypto, I'm seeing a bifurcation where if people are raising on the uh, traditional structures where they're raising equity, they're a little overpriced relative to the regular insanity that's happening in the fundraising market right now. Put a number on it. Uh, things, uh, pre-product, pre-launch in the 15 to <laughs> $30 million valuation range. Oh, that's but, not that bad. That's no, exactly. Double or triple reality here. Right. 
But then you get into when they're issuing tokens from the get-go or doing a SAF, the simple agreement for future tokens, or things like that, where there's never any equity structure and they're purely starting by selling some number of the eventual fully diluted total number of tokens and the, the valuations make no sense. Like there are three, four, five X because they're not... Uh, the argument is, well, it'll never get diluted. We're never going to... Mm. You know, the, the fully diluted tokens that there's already a set number and you'll never get diluted again. And you're like, uh, you kind of have to. Yeah, that's an interesting to, one. It's like there'll never be another secondary offering. There'll never be like an IPO. There's never going to be a Series D or a right. bridge round. There's never going to be a punitive bridge round with warrants that are 10 to 1. The idea is it would be like your startup has a billion shares on day one and they're trading for a fraction of a penny or a penny, and then, you know, we'll take it from there. And there's also a different notion where tokens have a, a second or third uh, use case other than yes. just representing sort of ownership in the value that is created because so many of them, you, you know, you have to have at least more than half, often more than 60% allocated for the eventual community of the thing that launches. Mm -hmm. So all the founders, all the... Um, investors, all the employees of, and they're not really employees, but all the people working on the project are are going to be a minority. And so that's different too. That's going to make it at least two or three X more expensive because you have to, you know, save a certain amount for, for the community in the future. So I have found, and I'm new to this process, I found that it just requires a very different way of thinking. And I'm still working through like, what's my framework to evaluate if something is a reasonable price, because price means a completely different thing in the, mm. in that token world. Fascinating. You buy any of this, David? You smoking this? <laughs> I think are you, I, I are don't you, know. Are you I mainlining like... it? Are you got tinfoil and a straw? Are you freebasing this craziness? I think anytime you're talking about maybe this is controversial. I think anytime you're talking about valuations or where the market is right now, it's just like it's it's a noise. It doesn't matter. Like I go back to like. This is entry like price doesn't matter for investing in the long, Okay, like all of this that is going on, Web three DAOs. Say you're 21 years old right now. You're in college, or even you're older. Like, what, like this is so amazing. If I were that age now, I'd be like, oh, okay, I could go like work for a company, get a job uh, where I'm selling my labor for money do that for a while. Maybe someday I'll start a company with equity and all my eggs are in one basket. This blows all that up. You'd be like, okay, cool. I'm going to like give from my your, efforts okay, I agree to a bunch that. of projects. I'm going to get tokens in those projects. I can diversify. I can work on where my interests take me. Totally. Those projects can do well. It's just a whole new model of like I, and I labor and capital. I'm talking about in our day jobs, like entry price, investing, uh, Wait, but wait, I like your I like your further point, which is the great resignation and young people becoming entrepreneurial. So let's put a pin in that and get to that. But before we get to that there, one, there's a thing, David, valuation? that I know you want to say that or that you've said to me before, which I think is a reasonable and succinct way to put this, which is because we are elephant hunting in the in the game of venture. All that matters is that the entry place that you get in is sufficiently low below some reasonable number such that you're still early stage mm -hmm. and like. Do you care how low below that? Not really. Just like yeah. go put wind in the sails of the company. But as long as you're in early stage in also, a winner, it, it that's totally what depends on the style of investing too. Like I used to be a professional venture capitalist for over a decade, you know, very traditional. I'd make one to two investments a year. I'd sit on the board, you know, I'd like 
my model has completely changed now. And I think back on that, that's a great, totally viable model. But like, you're betting on so much to go right with every individual investment there. You are threading a needle every single time. And now I just think about it more as like, okay, I and my, my partner Nat and my fund in kindergarten, we're going to make 50 to 100 investments a year. They're going to be small, <laughs> small checks. And most of those, we're not going to make any money. But some of those are going to make so much money that it'll pay for everything. And we have so many chances to be right. And what I'm saying is that like with Web3 and DAOs, that brings that same dynamics to companies themselves, to founders, to employees. And I just think that's like... like uh, we, had, we did a great special episode uh, a couple of weeks ago with NZS Capital, which is a hedge fund uh, based out of uh, Colorado. Those guys right, are Colorado, so right? smart. They're so awesome. And the whole premise, uh, they, they spent a lot of time at the Santa Fe Institute, which is an amazing institute. Yes. And their whole premise in starting the firm was like, we don't know what the future is. And if you just like have that as your baseline, we don't know what's going to happen. Then what do you do? <laughs> They've culturally like, outlawed oh. the, the word conviction. No one's allowed yeah. to come and say, I have conviction in this investment. Because they're like, you don't know the future. That's a li- li- ridiculous <laughs> thing to say. And now when I think like traditional venture investing, caring about valuations, all like that's like you're kind of betting on yourself that you know what's going to happen. But if you're just like, I don't know what's going to happen, you know, like, so these, these valuations are probably crazy right now. Sure. Right. But they may not be crazy. <laughs> and as long as you're investing through time periods and up cycles and down cycles, it's all going to balance out. Hmm. Interesting. I, I might take the other side of this, that some price discipline matters um, and that outrageous valuations could be a sign of a founder who is uh, optimizing for the wrong things. And if you're optimizing for the wrong things, like I've seen founders turn down like top tier firms to get plus 10, 20% on evaluation. Um, And then they're, they just don't have benchmark or Sequoia, whoever on their thing, but they got some second tier or third tier firm to, you know, go 30%, 40% over uh, what those firms offered. I had one founder who got offered to vest all of their shares ahead of time, so no vesting schedule uh, and uh, control of the board. And I was like, but don't you want that person on your board because they've done this a hundred times? Isn't that the value? And you're framing sure, it as that. Sure. No, I, I totally so agree with you weird, under that circumstance. That's the Let, weird let's compare thing apples that, to apples, yeah. though. Sure. Like, great, great firm offering okay. you ludicrous price and two to three X as much money as you actually need in this round versus taking a more reasonable valuation and selling at a, a pretty much the same amount of the company. Yeah, you go for the, you go for the higher valuation, obviously, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I don't blame founders for taking advantage of this moment in time. Um, I do think a lot of firms I'm seeing are going to have a hard time reaching the valuations they hit. I don't know about crypto because crypto is just so wild that, you know... It, Having the public, having a global day trading base of users that is completely unregulated, participating in startups, I think I'm just sort of like stitching this together here in my head, but let's see what you guys think and you can riff on it. You know, we had as the venture community angels, a lock on accreditation Mm -hmm. and investing in startups. Then you had this equity crowdfunding, which is very interesting um, and kind of opens it up and syndicates opens it up a little more. But then you say, hey... We'll let anybody invest in this token, which is a proxy for a share. But you know, we're just going to circumvent all security. Whoa, careful law. there, buddy! <laughs> uh, it is obviously a share because um, people are buying it to afford to appreciate, and nobody buying them is actually using them for the utility of them. 
or 99.9% are. So if it looks like a duck, it quacks like a duck, it's a duck. Uh, and so it's a duck, period. Uh, <laughs> sorry, folks. You look at that, what that shows to me is there's a global appetite to participate in company formation. But then imagine if when Uber was starting out or Robinhood or, or pick the great firms that you guys have invested in, if all of a sudden the public, when they saw the app and downloaded it and you know, Twitter or Foursquare went viral at South by Southwest, everybody could just take out their Coinbase wallet and Robinhood and just start trading it and buying into it. They're like, what are you using? Oh, Twitter? Oh, yeah, I'll buy 100 tokens of Twitter. Oh, yeah, what is that this year at South by? It's Lyft and Uber. Okay, yeah, I'll buy 100 tokens of that. People yeah, just, no, no wonder they get so valuable so fast. Well, that, I mean, basically, you're taking the virality of Twitter and social media and the algorithm there, and then you're combining it with finance and private companies. So you now literally the, the, are going, I just, it's, I'm putting this together in my head. Like, I think these tokens are like the equivalent of going onto, you're going viral on social. And the real, like, next layer on top of that, that compounds the whole thing is if it's not just I open up Coinbase and, you know, or FTX or whatever and, and buy some of that, assuming it's traded on a, a, a centralized exchange. If it's actually something where the token has intrinsic value in the network and I decide, ooh, I'm going to start participating in the network and I'm going to own some of that, part for speculation value because I think it's going to go up, but the mere fact that I then adopt it grows the network and Example. grows the intrinsic value of the network. And so you do actually have this thing where the price is growing. It's the old Buffett aphorism. Price is what you pay, value is what you get. Sure, the price is going because it's this public thing that everyone's buying in a mad speculative rush. But in, a, in this ideal scenario, the value is also growing because Give the network is expanding. Yeah. Uh, Solana or Ethereum. Okay. I mean, the, Are you the, using the, Solana and Ethereum in your day-to-day -day life or professional life? I, dude, I just held up my weird little hardware wallet that I just got to do <laughs> DeFi stuff. Okay, yeah, showing people your crypto <laughs> is not to try to like. Okay, no, I, I love, by the way, have you guys seen I, these memes it, of people showing girls in the club their Robinhood accounts or Coinbase no, accounts? Come on, that's. So I swear to God, this isn't, it's so this great. This is to show you, like, that's look, awesome. I have coins. This is to show you, like. Well, I have an application on my computer. I use my Phantom Wallet on Chrome. Okay, I'm, but I you're not doing no. anything. Wait, I, I, you're I got not a good solving example. a problem yeah. in your life with these coins. That's where this whole thing... I got a great example. Oh. We invest in. You should have these founders on the show. Rain Trust. Have you had Adam uh, and Gabe on the show? I don't think so. You should. Uh, full disclosure, we invested at kindergarten. And then via kindergarten invested. Whoa, <laughs> Here we Just go. Here's book, the plugs. <laughs> these, guys are, these guys are awesome. So it's... Um, Adam was the founder of Doctor On Demand, uh, you know, like super legit Silicon Valley guy. He's been around for, you know, many generations since Web 1.0. And uh, oh, I Rain know about this. Yes, it's. Yeah, I, I keep going. And so this so one Rain is interesting to me. This Next is generation labor marketplace. Yeah, it's like it's much more than this. But the gross analogy is Upwork or, you know, Fiverr or whatnot. But with crypto, and it makes so much sense because. So explain it to somebody who doesn't understand crypto. Great. But does okay. understand Fiverr. Okay, so on Fiverr, you, you know, get a job, you work a job, it's like, you know, temp jobs, labor, etc. It's low paying jobs, uh, because so much of the value is going to the network, like you're working these jobs, you're not really building anything like a lot of the value is going to the company, they're taking a big take rate, etc. On Braintrust, you take a job, you work on there. Braintrust takes de minimis, I think it's like, might be five or 10%, like very low take rate, and they want to get 10%. it lower ultimately get it look i think down to zero and you get paid in whatever currency you agree with with the employer but 
everybody also gets tokens on the network. You work, your labor, you get tokens, companies get tokens, people who refer people uh, labor in, jobs that happen get tokens. And then you're, you are becoming an equity owner in the network by working there. You can work lots of different jobs. And as more jobs happen on the network, that, that token increases in value. And so you're incentivized to do everything through the network versus where Fiverr or Upwork or whatnot, you're incentivized to take that offline immediately. So imagine uh, you got paid in Bitcoin, just to, since everybody knows what Bitcoin is, you go and I'm a writer and I write, uh, you know, a press release for somebody. I'm good at writing press releases. I write a press release. They say, hey, that would be, uh, if I was going to charge somebody to write their press release, I charge them five grand. But most people probably charge a thousand. So let's say it's a thousand bucks. Okay, here's a thousand dollar press release. Boom, I wrote it for you. I get a thousand Bitcoin instead of a thousand dollars in cash. I can then cash it out or I could spend it with other people on the network. And the idea is in order to be a contributor on this, you have to own a certain amount of these tokens or something. You have to be. It's, it's not even that complex. It's you, you get paid, you want to get paid in USD, you get paid in USD, you get a thousand dollars in cash. You also get brain trust tokens. Ah. And the company is so like gets a pot sweetener then. So yeah, both. exactly. So I just so, like the creative thinking here, right? Because then if you totally. could use those tokens to do other things and... And as those tokens grow in value, then you're like, oh, well, crap, that job that I made $1,000 USD on, now in USD equivalent two years later, if the token appreciates in value, wow, I made $10,000 on that job. Or, uh, Ben, and you can relate to this, um, sometimes we buy extra fuel uh, for jets, you know, like three years in advance if we think jet fuel is low now you'll just buy three like, years worth of jet fuel i did it last looking week. at your pj and you're like yeah, you know, it's like Fuck it, i'm just gonna buy it. sorry beat you gotta that. get to um, that ski house somehow well exactly no i'm driving though trust me i'm getting snow tires right now i don't have a pj i have snow tires <laughs> like that's that's the level i'm on i'm getting snow tires <laughs> but, they're really PJs. good they're really good snow tires from a model y um but some people will buy three years worth of jet fuel so actually if you think about brain trust like fiverr if I were to do, if I were, were able to buy $10,000 worth of Fiverr credits now and had a reasonable expectation that it might go three, four, five X, my buying power would go from 10 press releases. If it goes to $50,000, now I have 50 press releases sitting waiting there. So it's almost like paying in advance, I could, yep. you know, spend it later. Totally. Kind of cool. This is that, an example too. That, like, you know, I mean, shoot, valuations are, have, maybe they're too crazy now, but back then we invested pre-launch. Uh, I think the valuation was like 166 million or something like that. Crazy, right? <laughs> they launched. You invested in this company at 166 million. Yeah, but listen, listen what happened. They launch, <laughs> and they list on Coinbase. It oh, trades no. up to an 11 and a half billion dollar market cap. <laughs> so it's now it's now down a lot since then, but it's still you know Wait one to two billion dollar market cap. Did you buy shares in the company or tokens or both? Zapped. Uh, so, so you, you have future, future tokens. tokens. Did you get your yep. tokens? Got the tokens. Yep. Are you allowed to sell them, or are you locked? Uh, we're locked. Yeah. So okay. Which so that's ridi- that's ridiculous. You, I mean, you, the people who bought the tokens on the free market can do whatever they want, but the VCs who put the money in early are locked for how long? Oh, you must have gotten uh, a much better deal. Well, we we invested uh, we invested pre launch at I think it was one hundred sixty six million dollar. Uh, okay. valuation. It should be a lower valuation than yeah, whatever the tokens were trading right. for most yeah, of the Yeah, if we had bought in at eleven and a half billion dollars, then we wouldn't be locked, but we wouldn't have bought in at you know, we See, this, is at the, this is the problem with what's happening in crypto is these valuations, like, oh my God, it's worth 10 billion. But put aside brain trust, just call that Acme correctly, because I don't want to deride this company. 
Uh, so Acme tokens are worth 10 billion, the market cap. But 10 billion of tokens have not been sold. $10 million worth of tokens have been sold, but right. people are buying in $100 increments. Nobody can clear their positions. So when yep. we look at Solana, and a lot of my besties have big positions in Solana and other, you know, that Ooh. famous uh, fund. Um, what's the name of the fund? Multicoin. Multicoin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Multicoin, like, they're in this very unique position. There's not a market to sell all of those. So what do you do? You're just going to be like, you know, drip drabbing them out to sell them as you go. And so that that is the the thing about crypto that I think people don't realize is that I would guess two thirds of the valuation of crypto is unrealized and unrealizable. Because there's not deep liquidity to, to actually trade your There's not enough liquidity to do it. And I think if you look at Bitcoin specifically, I mean, maybe a third of the wallets and tokens are dead. I keep asking this to people. People keep saying low double digits are lost coins. So when you look at the market cap of Bitcoin, 20%, chop it right off, let's say. Some people have told me a third, but let's just take 20%. And how much does Satoshi have? Uh, I don't know. It's like 2 billion. Or I'm, They've I'm never sorry, touched two, their wallet, million right? or 3 million right. of the 21 million. So but that wallet's yeah. been dead since day one. It's never right. sold. A, so that's crazy to me. Like, here's a question, though, that I was thinking about the other day. Like, we can observe if there's ever actually been a, tran a transaction. So we are like, oh, the coins haven't left that wallet. If I were Satoshi, in some ways, you're like, well, that's proof Satoshi's dead because no human could actually resist the temptation of being able to go make that much money or, or spend that right. much money or do something with that money. They could totally take a loan against that as collateral. Oh, this is so a chance better they could do. There's something totally, even easier. Because then it's not on chain. Here's how you do it. Um, it's a little secret that happens sometimes in our industry. Uh, you may not have Jason, to come across it. Satoshi? Yet. I didn't want to bring it up, but I am. I am <laughs> one sixteenth. I'm one sixteenth of Satoshi. Uh, if I was Satoshi, is I'm this like when you were? Uh, you said you were VC Braggs. Yes, which I thought was great, and people still to this day they got VC Braggs. It's so great. Oh, uh, so great. Well, and I coordinated with VC Braggs. VC yeah. Braggs. You know, I'm like i'm dming with vc Bregs all the time saying this is hilarious please keep dunk because i was, was like one of the VC original Bregs. targets and then you and take out your other phone and you're like thanks jason <laughs> <laughs> so anyway i was like um i was like okay how can we make people believe this i'm going to tweet something from the vc Bregs, and then i'm going to delete it and then you screen capture it and then share it somewhere else to prove it so we were like going like through a whole like deep how do we convince people that i accidentally tweeted from at jason or at this week in startups anyway Putting that aside, here's how this you do like it. This is like QAnon for startups. Basically, yeah. It's a little pizza gate or something. Um, aliens, reptiles, Illuminati. So you would create an LLC, then, and you'd say, I'm contributing of my, you know, 20% of the Bitcoin. I'm going to put 1%. I'm pledging 1% into that LLC. And then uh, if you all want to buy it, I will sell it to you for half price under the concept here that you can't sell it for 10 years. So they could have done all kinds of off-market transactions like that and could be doing them all the time with a non-disclosure. Mm. Yeah, people used this to comes do this. I don't is, know if they still do with uh, employee equity and startups, right? For what sure, happened to yeah. me was I owned equity in a high-growth startup at one point, and it was a very coveted share, and that company was not allowing people to sell them because the founder ruled with uh, an iron fist, and that was why he was so successful. And then somebody you're talking about somebody once upon a time in startup. Once land. upon a time in startup, somebody said to me, "Listen, don't worry about it. F that guy. Uh, we'll make an LLC. You sign this piece of paperwork. You contribute your stuff. I contribute into that X number of dollars. We now own your shares and this amount of cash. Anytime you want cash, you take it out, and then I own a couple of shares, and it's just a liquidity pool for you, uh, and nobody has to know." And I was like, "Huh." 
I'm not going to do that because he's my friend and I'm just well they also that. They, that when people were doing that at least with um with startup equity there was a lot of risk because if if the company found out they could cancel those shares right theoretically they could cancel those shares uh, that has never gone to the test and so this person is like no they can't do it it would go to the supreme court or whatever i'm like yeah that's exactly what i want to be doing yeah, right, like, right, with right, one right. of my besties going to the supreme court like i trust my bestie i'm looking at the data like liquidity um illiquidity is a feature <laughs> not turned a out it was very beneficial for you to wait yes but yes. this may uh the LLC may or may not was be. not based in Wyoming, by the way. It was not a DAO. <laughs> may or may not be relevant to this conversation. I'm just curious. Popped in my head. Uh, are you still in touch with Travis? What's he up to these days? Unrelated. Thank you for asking. Uh, I don't talk about uh, Travis publicly. Um, and I don't talk about the guy with the rocket ships publicly <laughs> anymore. Because uh, the press now, because of reblogging, hmm. uh, if I, I, I talked about the SNL thing and it, the amount of blowback when you have a high really? profile friend like that, it's just like it's back channel blowback. Mm. It's it's people asking me like to ask, you know, high profile friends to, you know, solve some problem mm. like their kids. Yeah, benefit. Makes sense. And the other problem is, yeah. you know, I and I basically told my team. Well, sorry to bring like, it up. but that's... No, no, it's totally fine to bring it up. I, I actually like talking to you about it when you start having some. OK. I have I have acquaintances and friends, and then there's like very close friends. When I have close friends, and I was on uh, CNBC in the early days of, let's say, specifically Uber and Tesla, I say, listen, I have the roadster. It's amazing. I was out there stumping for my friends. Hey, Uber's great. They're going to get through their problems. Hey, Tesla's amazing. Yes, the Model S is late, but I have the first one. It's incredible. It's transcendent. I, I was doing that. My friends were on high profile, and I was supportive. So no problem. Then if your friends become too high profile, if I mentioned something about a Chamath SPAC now, like if I had Chamath on earlier, I'm like, hey, meet my friend Chamath Polyhapatia. Here's how you pronounce his last name. That was like, you know, five to 10 years ago. And I was introducing him to the world on the pod. I could say, well, wait, now if I were to say something about Chamath and then bring up one of the IPO SPACs, it gets reblogged and people yeah. say, well, he's an insider. He's his bestie. He has inside information. This is a publicly traded stock. And then all of a sudden I am trading on a friend's reputation as opposed to supporting a friend. So now I support my friends. If they become so high profile, I've now just learned to just turn off the spigot. So everybody keeps asking me about Travis. I spend time with Travis. I know a lot about his, what he's doing. I say nothing uh, because he has said, I want nobody to talk about what I'm doing. And I said, great, I respect that. Totally. Uh, and then people are like, are you an investor? Are you involved? Are you on the board? And I say, I, I don't speak about it. But yeah. You know, that is a hundred percent his rate. That is great. And you're a good friend. I try to, you know, one of the things I've tried to do in my life is be the best friend possible for my friends because it gives me joy to be able to take a phone call from somebody who is having a hard time. You know, I, and I, and I took these texts and from Tony, you know, uh, you know, uh, leading up until his suicide. And, you know, it's mm -hmm. like something that's stuck with me of like, did I do enough in that situation? Could anybody have done anything in that situation? And, you know, it's, it's, it's like heavy stuff to be somebody's good friend and then have them kill themselves, you know, yeah. uh, in a really disastrous way. And so I've just, this, this is like, you ask me like what I'm thinking about and top of mind for me in my career at 51. It's that. It's like, I, I have a lot of friends in high pressure situations or friends who, you know, ha have died early from, you know, like 
Tony from drug abuse and, and mental health issues. And like, that's what I think about is like my friendships and whatever, because I'm not going to be here much longer. I'm 51. I got whatever, 19 to 40 years, hopefully. I, I want to really enjoy these and, and be supportive. So I don't I didn't mean to bring the show down, but that's how no, I think no. about it. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, well, and it kind of, you know, I don't know, weird to <laughs> connect this to DAOs and everything, but like, I do, I just, I think that's what's so cool about DAOs and Web3 is like, you get to do stuff with your friends and that leads to awesome yes. stuff, you know, like. I, I love that about DAOs and crypto. I, let me, let me throw this up there. You said earlier, I think, Ben, no, maybe it was you, David, that there's always fraud, there's always craziness, and then something real comes out of it. I agree with that as a premise. I've been super critical of crypto. I was like super enthusiastic. Then I became super critical with all the grifts and the That's ICOs. Right. That's right. And these like stupid like NFT painting the tape and market manipulation. And then now I see NFTs that have IP included with them and residuals and smart contracts. And then I'm seeing DAOs. If we are in a uh, journey of where this becomes legitimate technology that people use every day, you know, and just pure speculation. If that was like a, a nine inning game, what inning are we in? That's a good question. I saw a stat. I don't know if this is correct or not, but I saw it somewhere. That's something like two or three percent of the US population owns an NFT at this point. That may be a, an incorrect wait, wait, stat. What number? Two or three percent of the US population. I don't buy that, but that's incredible. Yeah, I, that seems high to me. But if that's true, then like, wow, that's a lot farther along than I would have thought. I mean, 9 million people, yeah. it was 270 million adults, 300, there, there 300 million a, adults uh, now, something like that. This is not the number of adults, but this is a tweet that I saw yesterday. Someone did an analysis of 6.1 million trades of 4.7 million NFTs, which is interesting to see like one and a half trades per NFT is the average, shows that the top 10% of traders have traded 97% of NFTs which definitely puts meat on the bones of the hypothesis that a lot of NFT trades are wash sales intending to artificially boost prices. 100%. There's some interesting, interesting graphs that they show. Define, but, wash, define wash trades for people who don't know. Uh, selling something to realize the loss and then very quickly thereafter um, buying it again and resetting your basis. Right. So like, you bought the NFT for you sell it to another wallet for $100, you've got $9,900 in losses, but you still own the asset. Yes. Yes. But then um, when and, you do those wash trades, tax, don't you, you get the tax? Well, the yeah. proposed tax regulation for, for next year that has passed the House but not passed the Senate will um, make digital assets subject to wash trade rules. So that, we, you know, in all likelihood, there's only another month left on that being an unregulated mm. thing. Mm. So where do you feel? Nine innings. When the ninth inning hits, this is as this is this basically becomes 2005 using the internet. Like well, it's, I've been, everybody I, uses I it. Everybody's got a mobile phone with the internet on it. It's the moment when like the iPhones in people's pockets, Blackberries, and everybody is used to the internet. Here's the yeah. So I haven't defined it in terms of innings. I've defined it in terms of years. And the thing I keep going back and forth on are: Are we 1994 or 1999? Because you could make an argument we're 94 because like the real heavy use case things, the Amazons of Web3 are just now starting. But the craziness level feels pretty 99. Oh, I like that framing. Mm -hmm. So the like, technology I don't think we yet development have a... is 94. We're at Mosaic Browser, Netscape 1.0. Yes. Oh my we gosh, you look at MetaMask, like that working. is Mosaic. Yeah, okay. So we're like Mosaic going into Netscape. But the hype and the 
finance is like peak 99, 99. 2000. I think that's because exactly I think right, actually. Everything is so much faster now. Every mm-hmm. cycle is so much faster. Every trend is so much faster. Information disseminates so much faster that like the hype and the bubbles and the bubbles popping and the bubbles coming mm-hmm. back, like all of the cycles are just massively accelerated now. Wow. I think that is the best framing I've heard in a long time. And I was writing a blog post called Crypto um, Cognitive Dissonance. And I think you just gave me the supporting point, which is, you know, you, you have this cognitive dissonance, which is there are so many scams going on here. And this does not, there's no way these valuations match reality because there's no use case. But then you look at the underlying technology and its potential, and it doesn't take a genius. In fact, it, it just takes somebody with a base level of understanding of business and technology, David, to understand that this is going to change everything. At some point, these things are too powerful as a collection of technologies to not be highly disruptive. It's just obvious. And that's the dissonance. Yeah. we have on podcasts or on Twitter is like two holding two ideas at the same time in your yes. head. Ah, it's the hallmark of intelligence. Well, yeah. Tolerance for ambiguity certainly is. Yeah. Oh, no, there's oh my a gosh. famous quote. I, oh, who shoot? Who said it? Of the hallmark of intelligence is holding two conflicting ideas in your head at the same yeah. time. I remember your wife, Jenny, told you, David. So that, that came from a, yeah, a good authoritative me, source. I forget where. I'm, well, I'm cognitive dissonance is the psychological phenomenon. And then a tolerance for ambiguity um, is, I think, you know, how I think people explain it in academia, which is when there's an ambiguous, ambiguous situation, which is tr- typically because you have conflicting thoughts, if you can hold them in your head for a little bit of space, like, like Ben just did eloquently, hey, it's 94 in terms of the technology, it's 99 in terms of the hype cycle. Great. Okay, now that gives you a framework to hold it in your head and say, okay, that's a really dangerous place to be as an investor. It's a really great place to be as an investor if you're not caught up in the hype and you're focused on the tech, right? You can actually, you can actually develop a strategy by holding conflicting thoughts in your head. What, I, yes, absolutely. I mean, we did three three-hour episodes on the complete history of Berkshire Hathaway at the same time as doing deep dives on Bitcoin and Ethereum in the first six months of this year. And like that, I think, is the... That, that is how I got smarter that this year was doing those things that are that couldn't be more diametrically opposed, like pure value investing versus mostly speculation and like believing that there are true intrinsic merits to both. I just got this from one of my producers, uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald famously wrote the test uh, of a first rate intelligence is the ability to hold two opposing ideas in mind at the same time and still retain the ability to function. One should, for example, be able to see that things are hopeless, yet be determined to make them otherwise, which is Viktor Frankl. I don't know if you guys have ever read Man's Search for Meaning. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, great. it's really great, great late holiday read. Recommend I, it. I've read it three times in my life. I think maybe it's a good idea for me to read it uh, over the break again. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm not even going to explain what it is. If, you, if you've heard the, the name Viktor Frankl in Man's Search for Meaning, I'm going to just give every young person out there a gift. Don't don't think, don't read reviews. Just buy the book, put it in your draw. And when you have a, you know, a time to read That's it, what, read it's it. like 40 pages, right? Very uh, short. It's more than that, but it, it's a quick it's read. A thin you can do book. It in a yeah. It's a thin yeah. book with a lot of deep and important ideas. Okay, rapid fire. We got to get out of here. Amazing episode. If you are listening on the This Week in Startup stream, just type Acquired uh, FM into your uh, podcast player, click subscribe, uh, write a review, and then go ahead and uh, follow the YouTube channel. Maybe consider subscribing if you want to get into their awesome Slack. 
And likewise, if you're listening on on Acquired, go subscribe to the the JCal Empire. <laughs> all in twist YouTube. When, you can just browse your... the top technology shows; <laughs> they'll all come up. All do you, do you have a preference of how people consume? Something we're thinking about a lot these days: a video versus podcast versus. I, you know, I am focused on building a great team right now, and training that team. So we now have three full time producers on this week in startups. You can reach them at producers at thisweekinstartups.com and then Excellent. empowering them. Excellent producers. And putting them in charge of specific projects. And then I have Charles who does AV and then Molly coming on board. And so, you know, it's six person team plus two salespeople, eight people. I focus on the team and then people can consume wherever. Uh, and we do live streaming, we do clips and we just look at the data. And, you know, if, I, I kind of feel like Ben, you nailed it before, which is if you, I think you were talking about making something crazy obscure, maybe that was your David, and then the world finds ben. it. Like, it was Ben. <laughs> it was Ben. Yeah, I, I think that that's the right insight. It's just you make something you're passionate about and then people find it. Yep. And you know, This Week in Startups is a niche podcast that's gotten, I, I never envisioned it as like a top 10 or 20 podcast in tech. I thought it was a niche podcast just about startups, but it's expanded and, you know, five days a week, I can't talk just about startups. So it's, it's kind of got a bigger <laughs> mandate now. Okay, rapid fire. What, what didn't we hit on the list, Ben, that you wanted to hear from our, David and I? Our, our rapid fire favorite carve outs oh. our favorite books movies tv shows things we read mm. of all of 2020 that we would recommend to listeners well for tv shows i am obsessed with secession oh it's uh, so good it i'm is, glad you caught my pj's reference earlier yeah i mean the three the last three episodes of secession is just extraordinary like they, they just keep peaking and peaking and peaking and i are you also in on this david secession I don't watch enough TV, so no, I need to, I need to do it at some point. It's just, but, um, it's not even TV. It's more like Dickens. Yeah. Well, and it's about uh, News Corp and the Murdochs, right? It, a, a fictional. Well, but I used to yeah. work for it, so I gotta, I gotta go. It's ostensibly about that. Watch it. But what it's really about is power, privilege, mm. uh, family. How uh, money corrupts. Corruption, society, um, and the characters in it. Uh, I don't know where you are in your power rankings or who your favorite characters are, but you can't make a few, uh, you can't make a, a, a Tomlet without breaking a few Gregs. <laughs> I'm like all in on the Greg character. A uh, cousin Greg for me, cousin Greg, uh, you know, obviously Logan's amazing, but, uh, you know, I feel Kendall is a snowflake and annoying and Coddled, I feel shit is the head. like a super woke lib but who also wants power and is kind of like disingenuous. And for me, it's about Roman. I feel like Roman is like a pragmatist who wants to win, who loves his dad, who knows his dad is flawed, but cares about the empire and building the empire and maintaining and growing. And it doesn't matter what the costs are. It matters what the outcomes are. And he's You're saying just, like the ends justify the means for Roman. I think Roman is looking at it and he's almost like an edgelord poster uh, <laughs> where he's, you know, slash like, so that would have, be how you would describe him in today's parlance. And you previously described them as a uh, rabid capitalist CEO, a marauding pirate. Those two things are kind of the same, which is, you know, nothing matters. It doesn't matter mm -hmm. who's running for president. What matters is we are influential in helping put that person in power and we have a relationship with them. So if it's Trump or it's Obama, all that matters is how does that benefit us? 
Um, and, and where is our seat and power in relation to that? Um, but yeah. I will, I will, I'll go out on a limb and say that there are zero people who are pure likable on the show. Like no, Gre- Greg's great probably the closest, it, yeah. but it's because he's kind of a bumbling idiot until the moments that he's not. Yeah, I think yeah. he might be. I think he might be. They, they've kind of been teeing Greg up to have his moment at some point. You get that sense? Yep. I think the ultimate thing would be for him to just get absolutely demolished and that moment to never arrive. Like, I think that's actually what they're thinking is like, oh, yeah, he's going to save the yeah. day. And the best possible thing is he doesn't have a trust fund. He gets fired. And he has to go start his career over, and he's never important. And he's you're going note. to sue Greenpeace. <laughs> <laughs> is there a way for me to sue like my grandpa, like in a loving way? <laughs> no, it's it's not okay. So anyway, succession so for us. What do you got, David? What what, what you said? You don't watch TV or movies. Uh, I don't buy it, but okay. <laughs> uh, well, I do. I got one TV. I finally. This is how much under a rock I, I live. I finally, finally, Jenny and I get into Ted Lasso. Big, oh. big fans. So great. Uh, Perfect pandemic. Yeah, so so great. Uh, but instead of TV, my used to be my guilty pleasure is no longer guilty. I fully embraced it. I don't think there's anything to be ashamed of. I love playing video games. Uh, wow. So I got a after like a 10, 15 year hiatus. I got the new Xbox uh, that came out this summer. Is that five uh, or something? Where are they at? Uh, it's the X and the S. I got the S, which is nice. Oh. It's real cute. It's a little. So they don't know. even number it anymore. They're just like it's the Xbox yeah. and it's yeah, it's the twenty twenty one, and you bought it. And and all the all the games work on all the old ones too. It's just like how good a graphics. You, it's kind of like how oh. how dialed in do you want to be? Uh, I love it. And Xbox Game Pass is the best because like you can you get access to dozens, hundreds of games. Um, you only it's like you Apple pay, it's Arcade like or Spotify for games. Yeah, exactly. Do you have a game that you love or a genre of game you love? Oh my God. Halo. I so I grew up first like, person shooter. Yep. I grew up on on Halo like kind of high school college years mm-hmm. and then hadn't played in so long. And then they have the Master Chief collection, which is a remastered version of all the old ones and there's Halo oh, Infinite, wow. the new one coming out. So I've just been playing with all these older old I will confess as well. I have been playing the new Age of Empires 4, oh, which was re-released. Nice. And when I when I this is my little tradition. I get the girls to bed, whatever. I have the Knicks game. If it's an early Knicks game, I just record it. I get everybody to bed. And then I sneak back to my office and I pull up Age of Empires, yes. the Knicks game, oh, and my Slack amazing. and email. And I'll play a little Age of Empires, do a little Slack and email watch the Knicks game, and I just have my giant 49-inch monitor, three-window setup, and I can just have two, three hours of watching the Knicks, playing a game, grinding, because I can't be focused on one thing anymore. My brain is just forever corrupted oh, yeah. into Tech multitasking. Us. Yeah. yeah, my brain's broken. You guys got a book you like? You got a book or oh, an audio so book you like this year? Let's hear it. Earlier this year, after doing all the research for the Andreessen Horowitz couple of episodes that we did, um, Obviously, they based that a lot on CAA. And so I was like, I should yes. learn about CAA. And I read Michael Ovitz's uh, book, Who, Who is, is Michael, Michael Ovitz? Yeah. It is so good. I mean, so if you like good. Shoe Dog or uh, Ride of a Lifetime or any of these like unbelievable like business thrillers, <laughs> it, is, it is definitely one of those. And I don't think enough people in our world know about how powerful CAA and Michael were in their heyday. I have the ultimate... Uh, build on that the oral history of creative artist agencies your next yes next listen yeah and i'm in the you middle of it right yet? now i am okay. like it's 12 great. hours into the audiobook so that's a great compliment to the ovitz one and then the other compliment book end up, there it is powerhouse 
Um, the other compliment to that is um, Ride of a Lifetime. Ah, oh, so good. By Oh, you both, your business. So right. if, you, if you take those three and you put them together as like a little, uh, you know, sesh, you will get all the Disney stuff and the building of Cap Cities and ABC and whatever, CAAs involved in all that stuff going on in Jurassic Park and this and that. So you, you get like, it basically gives you the 80s and 90s in Hollywood and then how yes. you got to the Disney mega corporation, which if you and were it's to like think, shining a flashlight on these like different corners, like it's like lighting up different corners of the universe yes. as you read each one of these books. Yes. And it's 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 Rashomon, like five different versions of the truth to kind of get to what actually happened. Right. So if you don't know the yeah. reference for folks listening, Kurosawa, uh, famous Japanese director, famous yeah. director, period, had a film Rashomon, Rashomon, which is about. A crime that occurs and there's different people's perspectives so the movie is shown from their different perspectives and it is about the ultimate nature of truth so yep. great i uh other book other that's books? been recommended to me that i need to read as part of our you know uh, learning about this space in hollywood and all the analogies to tech um oh have you ever read the genius of the system uh it was recommended no. to me years ago i gotta read it it's about the og original studio system how did that get built up and then, of course, that's what it was already starting to fall apart. But then, really, when Ovitz left William Morris and started mm. CAA, that and that really blew up the, the studio system and put the power mm. back in the artists and the agents' hands. Amazing. I on the on the fiction tip, I really like The Martian yeah. and the follow up to that project. Hail Mary came out from Andy Weir. I just bought it. That's my holiday reading. It's uh, it's great. I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah. And which know, one's better? Um, I well, The Martian was so unique. In terms of his style, I feel like he is like a standard bearer for Michael Crichton, where mm. Crichton would very much get into the science and the technology and then create a great, really fast paced story to go with it. And I actually had Andy Weir on the a program oh, before nice. the movie came out, but after the book came out, because, you know, he was down in San Jose uh -huh. and I actually went to his apartment. He's like, yeah, you can come to my condo and film me. And I went to his tiny little condo before he became a Hollywood guy. No, um, that's and, awesome. Uh, yeah, I don't know what episode it is. I'm going to throw it into the chat. And then I hosted a screening of The Martian with him, and I did a Q&A after in uh, San Francisco at the Metreon, and I invited all of our fans to come. Um, so anyway, I think you're going to really like Project Hail Mary. Um, and then, uh, as mentioned, oh, uh, and then on the bio tip, uh, I finally got around to grinding it out, the Ray Kroc story. Oh. Absolutely mm, fantastic. If you've seen the movie so The Founder, Yep. Have you seen The Founder? Yep. Yeah, I, I have not, but... I, uh, incredible. It feels slightly cases. fictionalized, but I think it's, it's, it's really good. Well, if you, if you watch the two, it's pretty tight. And then I'll add to it uh, uh, Mark Knopfler's, uh, the leader of uh, Dire Straits yeah. song, Boom Like That, is a song that the director and writer of uh, the, the Founder, it turns out Mark Knopfler read Ray Kroc's biography in whatever years ago wrote this song boom like that and then the directors heard the song boom like that read the biography and so just do those three together oh uh, sweet. so great and so i'm giving you a little trifecta there on the pop culture tip i also reread because i started writing my next book um i re-listened to when i was in What's italy it on? On. can we can you give us some deets it's going to be about money um and that's as much as i'll say uh okay. but it's not a tactical book like angel this is a book like big think book and so it's it's for everybody but uh on writing by stephen king is uh oh yeah oh, a great. really really great. great uh practical book about writing 
combined with his story. Uh, and there's just a great moment so in Stephen where... Stephen King, he's, he's the best. Well, th- there's an amazing anecdote I'll just tell briefly here. He was doing... Um, he was a teacher. He wrote like three pages about Carrie and just about how this girl had had her first menstruation cycle and the girls made fun of her or whatever. And he was very frustrated with it. And he crumpled it up and threw it away. His wife pulled it out, read it, said, uh, you got to finish this. I love this. This is like incredible. Please finish it. He finishes it. He sells it for like essentially two years salary as a teacher. He was making like 4000 He got like 8000 or 9000 for this, uh, you know, uh, paperback. Back then, paperbacks and, and hardcovers were two different deals. So he gets the paperback deal. The paperback takes off, uh, the paper, the hardcover takes off. He sold the hardcover. And then the paperback rights are still out there. He gets a call from his agent, uh, the, the publisher, because the publisher then would split with him whatever they got. The publisher course says, hey, listen, we got you $400,000. You get half, so you get $200,000. He goes, oh, wow, $20,000? You're kidding. He goes, no, no, no. 400,000, you get 200,000. Okay, so I'm, you're telling me I'm getting $20,000 for the paperback? I got 8,000 for this. It's five times as much. That's like $40,000. $20,000, you realize it's like five times a year salary. I can quit shop. He goes, no, no, Stephen. <laughs> We're getting $400,000. You're getting $200,000. He, he can't process it, which I related to because at one point, with the uber shares they had done a stock split of like four to one or something and so i somebody uh you know on my team is like hey you know here's the update on this because they were not giving us too many updates everything was kind of close to the vest and i was like whoa that's a lot of money and they're like yeah it's actually four times that <laughs> and i was like what you know and it was like you know it was like a couple million dollars and then like you know tens of millions of dollars i was like you're kidding and they're like no we're not kidding and i was like oh okay there we go all right. Uh, you, what do you guys real got quick on, on, on Stephen King, though? Uh, uh, quick shout out. His Gunslinger series, not as well known, but it's his magnum opus. It's so good. So, oh, really? so, so good. I've Have never you ever read, read it? his fiction. I got to get in there. Oh, uh, so good. Uh, uh, and then I had Working Backwards, by the way, uh, which is the Amazon book, just because I'm trying to institute the writing culture inside of my companies. Great. Uh, I, I got a real quick one. Uh, sticking with the, the fiction and the sci-fi building off the Martian, The Expanse. I've not watched the TV show, but the books are so good. I feel like not enough people know about ah. these. And people don't know. Uh, James S.A. Corey, the author, is a pen name. It's two people who write mm. it together. And either both or at least one of them is George R. R. Martin's assistant. What? Uh, so literally, this is Game of Thrones in space. It is exactly that. It is so fantastic. And I the started last watching book, The Expanse, but we, I think we fell asleep during it. I gotta uh, give it another the books shot. are so good. They're so good. And the last right. book just came out. Wrapping up the whole series. Nine books. It's excellent. All right. So I think we got all the books. Any more books? Yep. All right, let's go on to podcasts then. Any podcasts that are non-obvious that you guys have gotten into? I'm trying to think. I don't know, David, did, did you have a favorite podcast uh, this year? I've, I've got a few. Um, uh, two video game podcasts, video game nostalgia history podcasts that I love. Oh, uh, wow. Actually, three. One OG that I've been listening for years, Wizard and the Bruiser, is kind of like a fun, poppy take on uh, mm. nerd culture. Retrograde Amnesia is my new favorite. They go through old school RPGs, like like PlayStation era RPGs, and they play them, and then they like talk about the experience, like like beat by beat. They do like fifty episodes on a on a game, and then Resonant Arc is another one in the same vein. That's also great. Mine, I think, is actually a late 
a late 2020, but I'm going to recommend a single episode of the Tim Ferriss podcast where oh. he interviews Jerry Seinfeld. Oh, so it good. starts slow, but by the end, it's maybe the best podcast le- episode I've ever listened to on, on Jerry, the creative process, ha- building oh, habits, sticking to habits, Have what makes on, a great uh, comedian. I had Tim famously on This Week in Startups, a live episode when I would do live episodes every month in San Francisco or every other month. And uh, famously during that episode, uh, you know, because Tim and I have a personal relationship and uh, he talked a little bit about like his, you know, depression or other issues or whatever, mental health issues. And then he talked about uh, for the first time live in the room, it kind of took everybody back, his uh, suicidal ideation when he was in college. He then wrote a blog post about that and talked on a show and it became like a top search term. And then somebody who was listening to the show emailed us both that th- he was going to kill himself, listen to the episode, God help. And it, oh, wow. Yeah, wow. some pretty heavy stuff. Wow. But, but Tim and I are uh, good friends and uh, yeah, I got a lot of respect for him. I, I added um, The Watch, uh, which is a, a Ringer podcast where they talk about TV episodes, but in a long way and they do every secession episode oh, the nice. night after secession so now my new habit is i'm about the debrief so now i watch secession and then i listen to the watch talk about secession and i'll listen to some of their other episodes as well but they go deep so you have to have watched the show or else you get spoilered out and then i will watch uh, i'll add a streaming show to this i will watch the knicks game and then knicks fan tv comes on and it's like a call-in radio show using this restream technology we use today and it's just changed my knicks viewing habit because i find the debrief is kind of like i'm in it for the debrief now after secession i like to talk about secession after totally you know All right, i think that's enough show uh, anything All else right. you guys got on the podcast tip People should subscribe to your show. I think if anyone's, uh, I, I retweeted it. The acquired account has been streaming this the whole time. Um, Fantastic, yeah. And yeah. Vice versa. I, I can't, I, I can't say enough. Like I, I've been a long time twist listener, but um, all in is just brain candy in every way. You, you, you light up all the different parts of the brain and keep going. Yeah, it's so. uh, you know, it's really a five person team there. You got the four of us, and then producer Nick has done an amazing job, just amazing giving job. up every Friday night. Um, so. Shout out to producer Nick, who has kept it nice and I got tight. One, one real quick holiday rec oh. to end on is a question for you. We oh. actually need your help. Oh, uh, We, help. we oh, need yes. to give a very nice uh, gift to a fellow podcaster, friend of, friend of the pod. Oh. Um, and we hear, that, uh, we hear that he likes really nice wine. We don't know what to do. I hear you might, you might have, a, oh. have a recommendation. We're thinking like, like really nice, like a like few hundred dollars. Super nice gift. If we're thinking Bottle about the friends I have, a few hundred dollars, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> okay, so, so, so cheap in your league, but expensive in our what, league. What's the cheapest bottle of wine you would bring over to like Sax's house for dinner and be like, this is okay? Um, yeah, I mean, I've. you know what he likes is Pappy Van Winkle. Uh, and I don't it's know a, what a, a bottle of Pappy Van Winkle That's That's like $3,500. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Um, I basically <laughs> was on his plane. He had a Pappy Van Winkle and I literally just took the bottle. And it was like three quarters full. I was like, I'll just take this home with me. Uh, I didn't do that. That's just a joke. I make jokes like that sometimes just to tweak them. Uh, <laughs> he thinks that he really does think I took the pathway off his plate. He's like, oh, that's a $5,000 reserve bottle. I was like, that's why I took it. And he doesn't know that I'm joking. And now he's talking to his people like, is that bottle missing? They're like, yeah, we actually think one of the bottles is missing. Oh, so I know great. his pilots are taking those bottles too, by the way. 
They're pouring Can I ask that a out? question about Sax's plane real quick? Oh, good. I don't does think he just it's have a good like topic. an incredible liquor cabinet like stored on his plane or does, do you bring it on for every flight? All right. I, I don't want to speak out of turn. You're not supposed to talk about private aviation because it's like rule number one of private Is aviation. Is that an out of bounds question? Totally. You never talk about it. You never take pictures of it unless you're Phil Hellmuth. It has no, we call him, I, I nicknamed Phil Helmuth the Duke of Discretion because if you watch, and I love Phil, so don't tell me it's the wrong way, but we call him the Duke of Discretion because like literally he got to Miami yesterday and he walked through this giant J-Lo house and talked about the helipad and everything and he just talks about PH nice life. So every time he's on a plane or I've been on a plane with Phil Helmuth, he's like taking pictures out in front of the plane and I'm like, oh God, like this is a high profile person, like the tail number and you know, like it, it, it's sometimes it's his friends in sports and it's like a, I wouldn't say Michael Jordan's playing, but it's a Michael Jordan level person, you know? And you're like, Phil, no pictures. And he's like, no, it's not for Instagram. And then you go on his Instagram. Of course, it's there two days later or whatever. So <laughs> it's on a yeah. delay. But I think window content, say, Nick, is um, when you're when you do take these, um, the 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 meal and the wine would be. Uh, somebody's assistant would have thought that through and probably curated that. Um, so that's kind of one of the wow. fun things about when you have a plane, or at least I've, some people just get like the standard food, uh, but I've been, you know, it's just terrible, uh, but serviceable. But what some people do is whatever city you're in, the uh, flight attendants, I've seen this a number of times, the flight attendants will source whatever the best restaurant is in that town or whatever. And they'll say, Hey, can I get a to go for this flight? And so one time I was flying out of Boston and like, we literally had the best chicken parm, gnocchis, and whatever oh, from like that's... some North Beach. Like, and it was just like, mm, this is it was, that was Chamat's plan. I can say that, but anyway, Chamat sent his person to, you know, like find the best Italian place, which we're like pounding chicken parm, you know, whatever. And, you know, and of course it's paired with something nice. So amazing. Anyway. Okay, okay. Right, so it's been like, an amazing see, episode. So, so, you can't. We can't. We can't let you go. Sub a thousand dollar bottle of wine. I have to think of, think it through. I'll, I'll, right. I'll get back or, to it. Or, or, or send us your wine person. Oh, you know what I'll say? I don't, I don't really drink. This is the thing. <laughs> um, I would actually say a dessert wine is not a bad call because they do okay. cap out. So Chateau uh, Yakem, is that how you pronounce it? I'm learning about a new thing, so I don't know. It's basically dessert wine is a whole category. Okay. Okay. Uh, and so, Chateau de Yakem. Yes. And so I would look at that Chateau Yakem. Um, okay. They basically they take like the late grapes. They're very sweet, and you can get into one of these bottles, like the small ones. They're kind of like the half size dessert wines that you might see at a fancy restaurant. They bring out and give you a small little bit of it. Tastes like honey and raisins and fruit. It's very dense and fortified, so it's kind of like a port, but it's a little bit lighter. And if you have a significant other, I would uh, just buy yourself a half bottle of this and crack it open after dinner one night. And uh, love it. Absolutely delicious. Like skip dessert and have this. 275 to 750 so yeah that's perfect because there are half bottles which will be small and then there's the full bottles you probably want to go with the full bottle you know and spend the 750 or five right you don't want to look like you're cheaping out on it and what's very important about these i'll just say is is the the years can have very different profiles so just go on Uh wine.com or one of those wine rating sites and just find out which is the good year to get because that's how these wine people think they know all the brands of wine they're on the next level of knowing the vintages and which ones were great. So if you had a choice to get a half bottle at twice the price, but the right vintage, that would be the power that move would, okay, in a okay. wine game. Make sure you get the right The vintage. other thing I would pair with it is a dandelion chocolate, which is a chocolate oh, company in yeah. San Francisco. Yeah. I do all my gifting from them and I just made a small angel investment in the company. Um, 
very privately. Like, um, but they have chocolate bars that are all high percentage dark chocolate. If, you know, we're talking twelve dollar bars of chocolate yep. that are artisanal, but that are kind of life changing because you have you break open one of those bars, you know, at dinner after dinner and just crack it open. And everybody have a little piece. Boom! Just really delightful. All right, this has been an amazing episode of the Acquired FM podcast and this week in startups. You know what to do. Have a great holiday, everybody. I just great to know you guys. Like we have to bro out. Like we have to like. Are you guys going to Miami for our puzzle and pre money? <laughs> uh, we're not in this DJ one league but... yet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know that's what we should do. Why don't we do this? Would be a great twenty twenty two for us. Why don't we do this live? Yes. Uh, this week in startups acquired crossover idea. live. Hundred percent. Where, where we're are in. you guys based? Seattle or something? I'm Seattle. He's San Francisco. So your neighbors. All right, so then you fly to us, and we'll do it in yep. like uh, the we'll, we'll do it in Redwood City or something. There's a nice theater there or something, or right. we could do it in the city if there's you know Chester sure doesn't we can arrest find me. A spot. And uh, let's just do like a just like an intimate like I don't know a hundred to two hundred people sell the seats, you know, break even on it, and then maybe have a little party afterwards, you know, like post COVID or whatever. That sounds amazing. That is a great twenty twenty two like plan. Uh, all right, anywhere for people to follow you at Gilbert. Pretty nice. Uh, at Gilbert or at EJ Rosen or at uh, Acquired FM or just oh. search Acquired in any yeah, podcast just, layer. Listen to Acquired. Watch us on YouTube. We're on YouTube now. Oh, fantastic. So, Excellent. Yeah. We got uh, these nice professional video setups. Yeah. Uh, you guys look great. Really good lighting and everything. All right. Listen, this has been great. Thanks, guys. Thank you.